0: Twenty-five of us are traveling to Greece and Germany at the end of May. Why are we going? We're not doing refugee tourism. We're not looking to have a good time. In fact, I hope we have a miserable time. I hope when you ask us in June, how was the experience, we will be able to respond truthfully, it was awful. We're not seeking to disrupt the daily toil of workers, of aid workers who labor to relieve suffering. To the contrary, we want to bring attention and support to their heroic work. We're not going so that manicured Westerners can pop in on misery, buttressing their humanitarian credentials. By going, we are not neglecting Jews. I've heard these rumblings. Jews have plenty of problems of our own. Why should we care about and why should we be concerned with refugees from the Middle East? They hate Jews. They want to see the Jewish state destroyed. We're a Zionist congregation that affirms the centrality of the Jewish people. These beliefs are precisely the reason we care not only about Jews. Our purpose is to be a light to the nations. The day Jews act for Jews alone is the day that we betray Jewish values. I shall make of you a covenant nation. I have created you and appointed you a light to the nations, opening eyes deprived of light. All the families of the earth shall bless themselves through you. We're going to Greece and Germany for three reasons. First, to express our humanity. We have obligations towards fellow human beings. We cannot shed these obligations. We may ignore them. We may disregard them. We may discard them. But we cannot rid ourselves of them. They cling to us by virtue of the simple fact that we are human. The stronger we are, the greater are our obligations to the weak. As the ancient Greek playwright Aeschylus wrote from Eleusis right near our hotel room 25 miles away from Athens, the human task is to tame the savageness of man and to make gentle. The life of this world. We speak a lot about rights in this country – rightly. The emergence of the rights of man propelled the West out of the dark and middle ages of excessive cruelty. We are right to emphasize rights. We speak far less of obligations – to speak only of rights and not of duties, is wrong.
1: In reality,
0: obligations come first. Obligations create rights. I have the right to life and liberty and perhaps a bit of pursuit, at least, of some happiness because you recognize and honor these obligations to me that bestow upon me these rights. If you do not affirm my right to free speech as your obligation, I will have no effective right of free speech. In Jewish thought, the obligations that one human being has to another are about earthly needs, not heavenly rewards. It is not my job to save your soul from eternal damnation. It is my job to save your body from damn starvation. As the Kotzkei Rebbe taught, take care of your own soul and another person's body. Not your body and another person's soul. All of us need nourishment, clothing, hygiene, medical attention. But that is not all we need. We need liberty. We need equality. We need honor and dignity, security and justice. These needs are universal. The poor have these needs, the weak have these needs, refugees have these needs, Muslim refugees have these needs, Muslim refugees that don't like Israel have these needs. And these needs create in us obligations by virtue of the simple fact that we and they are human. We also have needs for roots. The brilliant thinker Simone Weil vale famously wrote while living in England, exiled from her French homeland during World War II to be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need. Refugees, like the rest of us, have a human need to not be refugees. And we, the strong, have an obligation to provide roots — a home for the homeless. It is a moral obligation that is also in our self-interest. Uprootedness is not only wrong, but it's potentially dangerous. It leads either to spiritual lethargy — a kind of static existence resembling living death — or to a passion for revolution — of overthrowing this state of deprivation. Jewish teaching affirms this. Slaves often exhibit existential listlessness, uprooted from hearth and home and lost in a maze of cruelty and injustice. The alternative to this listlessness is often a passion for violent revolution, to overthrow those who are rooted. We see some of this in the political culture of our times today. We can attribute, in part, the populism sweeping the Western world to a sense of alienation felt by large swaths of the population. Whoever is rooted tends not to want to uproot others or to dismantle a governing system without regard to consequences. It is often in our self-interest to do the right thing. Had we not turned a blind eye to the savagery of Syria, we would have devised a response that would have spared vast amounts of human suffering, but not only that, would have also Prevented a wave of human desperation that has shaken the very foundations of Europe and coarsened American society. We were supposed to be. And we saw ourselves as the shining city on a hill, the land of the free, a beacon of light, a torch of liberty in a dark world beckoning the tired, the poor, the wretched refuse of humanity yearning to breathe free. We did not see ourselves as miserly, xenophobic, egotistical, a nation that cares only about itself and doesn't care less about the rest of the world. America first! America first! America, America, only America. The second reason we are going is to express our Judaism. The most oft-repeated warning in the entire Torah is the admonition not to wrong a stranger Jewish sages debated whether it is mentioned 36 times or 46 times in the Torah. Either way, no command is articulated as often. According to the rabbis, wrongful treatment includes even verbal abuse. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know the soul of a foreigner for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. The Bible instructs us that God defends the orphan and the widow. God loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, loving and attending to the foreigner. This these are attributes of God. God hears the cries of the oppressed. The cries of the children of Israel have reached me, and I have seen their oppression. Hatred of foreigners is one of the oldest human passions. Judaism urges us to suppress these feelings. You were foreigners. It is the reason that God made us the archetypical foreigners, so that we would fight for the rights of the foreigners, the stranger, the weak, the dispossessed, and the downtrodden. This has nothing to do with political philosophy. It's not a liberal or conservative position. It's just Judaism. To be unconcerned about others, to be absorbed only with yourself, to build barriers of moral and emotional separation. Is un-Jewish. Furthermore, persecution, oppression, exile, wandering, and otherness have been the historical experiences of the Jewish people from our very beginnings, including to and up to our very day. Abraham, the first Jew, was commanded to leave his homeland and go to a foreign land. When he arrived, he was forced to wander again because there was famine in the land. His son Isaac wandered. Jacob fled to Egypt. Joseph fled to Egypt. The Bible emphasizes the pervasiveness and hatred of and suspicion of foreigners. Even Joseph never really acclimated, despite his immense contributions to Egyptian society and his assimilation into Egyptian culture, so much so that when his brothers appeared on the scene, they didn't even recognize him. He looked so much like an Egyptian. Nonetheless, the Egyptians continued to suspect and even hate Joseph because he was a foreigner. As the Bible tells us, the Egyptians didn't eat with the Hebrews, for they were detestable to them. History has cast us into the role of perpetual wanderers, the wandering Jew. We are a refuge people. We know what it feels like. We are, or should be, especially sensitive to the well-off, turning their backs on human suffering, unwilling to stare it in the face, or only pretending to care. Just this week, New documents emerged proving that already in 1942 the allies knew of the systematic murder of 2 million Jews. They knew what the Nazis intended for the remaining Jews of Europe. In 1942. We still rage that our own government callously turned back the St. Louis in 1939, condemning over 200 50 passengers to eventual death. They sailed so close to Florida that they could see the lights of Miami and freedom. They cabled the president. FDR didn't respond. The Bible cautions, beware and watch yourself very well, lest you forget the things you saw with your own eyes and lest these things depart from your heart And you shall make them known to your children and your children's children." We know what it feels like to be uprooted. That's why we're going to the uprooted. To make it known to our children and our children's children and other people's children. We know what it feels like to be be dislocated. That's why we're going to the dislocated. We know what it feels like to be exiled, scorned, and hated. We know the loneliness, the sadness, the emptiness that never fully disappears. The ancient poem and poet in Babylonian exile expressed the sentiment of all refugees By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. How shall we sing God's song in a foreign land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I do not raise Jerusalem above my highest joy. Exile is a violent rupture. It is not the voluntary departure for a better job. Return is out of the question. The Jews know this. The medieval poet, Yudah Levy, who lived a 1,000 years after the destruction of the Temple in Jerusalem, expressed the age-old Jewish feelings of exile feelings of abandonment, of mourning, perpetual otherness, and the everlasting sadness and emptiness of being ripped from family, friends, tradition, culture, and nation. He wrote, My heart is in the East, and I in the uttermost West. How can I find taste in food? How shall it be sweet to me? How shall I render my my vows and my bonds? A light thing would it seem to me to leave all the good things of Spain, seeing how precious in mine eyes to behold the dust of the desolate sanctuary. The third reason we are going is to do some good in the world to offer the milk of human kindness to those malnourished of love and compassion. Despite all the problems we may have, we live in the most affluent city, in the freest country, in the history of the world. Individually and collectively, we have more capacities than practically any group on the face of the earth. This knowledge alone creates an urge to help. No, to do something for others, to give back. Perhaps it might even generate in us the rare awareness of how fortunate we are and how unfair and unkind life can be. We want to help people, don't we? We do not see ourselves as economic units of production and consumption locked in competition with everyone else, right? When we look into a Syrian orphan child's eyes, don't we see a human being there? not a quota system, extreme vetting, a Muslim travel ban, or a terrorist security risk. I hope that you agree with our philosophy, irrespective of your political views. I hope you are proud of the synagogue for taking action, for doing something that expresses Jewish and American values. I hope you will tell your friends and share our moral indignation and resolve to do something yourselves. I hope you get involved in our Synagogue's Immigration and Refugee Task Force. There are now well over a hundred fellow congregants who have signed up. I hope you get involved in the mission itself. By the way, we still have room for you, even at this late date, just to not decide tonight that you want to go, call the office on Monday, follow the instructions, and meet us in the lobby of the hotel in Athens on Wednesday, May 24th at 2 o'clock. For the rest of us, I hope you support the refugee relief campaign we have launched. We're traveling in your name. We're carrying your heart in ours. We reflect the moral sentiments of thousands of Stephen Wise members, we do not want to come empty-handed. You will see these flyers; they're in uh, color. I just uh, have a black and white printer, and you'll see them on—you'll see them around the synagogue and online as well. Do something for the cause. This tells you what you can do. We're collecting smartphones and tablets for a computer literacy shelter in Berlin. We're collecting hygiene kits for teenage boys in Greece. The nursery school and the religious schools are collecting art supplies and books for children. I had the most amazing experience this week. Two days ago, one four-year-old boy came into my office and he told me with such pride, his eyes gleaming with warmth, that he was bringing his books to nursery school the next day for the children who don't have books and don't have homes. There's also an opportunity to make a modest financial contribution. We've opened a fund at Stephen Wise. We'll transfer 100% of your contributions to our partner NGOs on the ground. $100 buys a stroller, $300 buys a wheelchair. There are opportunities to support English lessons and teachers. Get involved in some way. Pay attention, lest you forget the things that you saw with your own eyes all those years ago. Make known to your children and your children's children the meaning of being human, of being Jewish, and of being a proud American. Rabbi Shlomo of Carlin taught, if you want to raise a person from mud and filth. Do not think it is enough to keep standing on top and reaching a helping hand down to him. You must go all the way down yourself, down into the mud and the filth. Then take hold of him with strong hands and pull him and yourself out into the light.